Hello, everybody. We are Ken and Lisa Henderson. We'd like to welcome you to the Faith Works Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. We are going to be looking into the lives of ordinary people, and we'll be examining how faith in God is working in their lives and how it will work in yours. We are very excited to bring you testimonies, release prophetic words, and examine Scripture, which will cause your faith in Jesus Christ to grow. Thanks again for joining our conversation. Welcome to the Faith Works Podcast. Hey, we want to welcome to our, our podcast today, uh, Rebecca Blevins, and she's got an incredible story, and so we're going to get right into that without further delay. So, Rebecca, if you want to say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here today. Listen, what, you have an incredible story of a couple of instances where um, God really intervened in your life, and so we want to encourage the people, and then we want to get into some of the circumstances surrounding that and just uh, allow you to glorify God so that he can be lifted up and really uh, let people know that they're, no matter what they're going through, and, and, you know, addiction is a form of hell on earth. And so people feel, um, you know, all, all kinds of torment and because it's a tormenting spirit that goes with addiction. And we've seen that up close and personal uh, in, in the form of our son having a 16-year uh, addiction. And so what we want to do is we just want to allow you to share your experiences, share, share how God intervened. And once we get through that process, I'm sure that we're going to have a few questions for you. But in your own words, why don't you tell us what exactly happened in these two different instances? Really, I had like tried, I'd like had a couple sips of alcohol like before college, but I'd never even seen drugs. Um, I'd never even smoked a cigarette. Um, And I'd like had an encounter with the Lord, like a really powerful encounter with the Lord the summer before my senior year of high school. And I was like on fire and um, just really pursuing the Lord. And I went to college it was, I, I went away, like, so it wasn't, you know, community college or local or anything. I, that's where I kind of was exposed to um, drugs. Within the first month I was at teen, at um, college, I um, went through date rape. And I kind of, like, instead of dealing with the pain of that, I went, like, the opposite way. Instead of like telling my parents, like, listen, this happened. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to do this. I don't. And, you know, turning to the Lord and I just like went the opposite and I went like hard. I started running in the opposite direction and I started drinking a lot. I started um, smoking pot. And then the second year of college, um, I started experimenting with pills and cocaine and um, different drugs and like Xanax and and stuff, but like it, none of it really had a hold on me. Like I could put it down and until it was more of like a social thing until I met a guy that was addicted to pain pills and he was actually prescribed them because he had um, been in a hurt and like shattered or been in an accident um, at work and it shattered his knee. So he was prescribed pain pills and, but he was abusing them. He was snorting them and, 
um, you know, buying them and all kinds of stuff. And um, so I hadn't been around them really and like the people that were addicted to them until that point in time. And so I started using them with him, not understanding like how bad the addiction is until the first time that I went through withdrawal. And I literally thought I had like the flu or mono or something. And I remember him telling me, he was like, you don't have the flu. You just need a pill. And I was like, no, no, I don't. And he gave me a pain pill and I felt better and I couldn't believe it. Like, so I was just really naive. And at that, but like by then I just continued to use them. And, um, it started out with, um, Lortab, like Lortab fives and tens. And then within months I was using, um, like Roxy's and, um, and then Oxy's and then, eventually morphine and eventually morphine patches and you know which now they call it fentanyl um and and he he ended up being like abusive so I I got away from him but I had like more damage and instead of dealing with the pain and and running to the Lord I kept running away and And so what we call it in inner healing is you're self-medicating yes for sure yeah and at that point, it was like worse than ever. And then um, he ended up dying in a car wreck. And it was like a month or two after we had went to court. And I like I just didn't really know how to handle that, not having closure with that whole situation. And that was the weekend that I tried heroin for the first time. And whenever I tried heroin, it was like, I lost everything. I had a job at a dentist office. Uh, I was like a functioning addict until that point. I lost my job. I lost my um, car. I lost the place that I was renting like within a month of me trying heroin. From that point on, I started like kind of staying at house to house, people's houses that had drugs or or um, could get me drugs or just random places and that so how much how much um heroin or whatever were you using per day i at my worst i i wasn't ever using just heroin i used like heroin and morphine and um dilated and you know roxies or oxys or because i couldn't ever get like a lot of heroin because it was West Virginia. So like they, a lot of people there, they would drive to like Columbus, Ohio or Charleston, West Virginia to get heroin. So it's like at that point in time in my, like, you know, 12 years ago, um, there wasn't a lot of it available, but I would usually, I don't know, use like several grams a day. On April 19, 2008, um, I was at a house with, um, the guy that I was dating um, and at um, a so-called friend's house, and um, they had went and got some drugs and came back. And the last thing I remember was being in a bathroom with him, and he was trying to get me to um, show him how to cook heroin. And I was telling him, no, that's the last thing I remember. And the next thing I remember is waking up in the hospital. Um, at some point, but between those two points, um, I had 
shot up heroin and it had went straight to my heart. It had hit the artery um, or I don't really know what happened, but it went straight to my heart and um, I overdosed. And the people that I was with, when they could not get me to wake up, they, um, I was told they threw water on me and slapped me around trying to get me to wake up. And whenever they could not get me to wake up, they carried me out to my car in the middle of the afternoon and put me in my car in the passenger seat and left me out there. They went back inside and left me out in the car. And um, at that time, my mom got a phone call. Um, it, it showed a private call on the caller ID, and my mom got this phone call. She was washing the dishes and praying because she had gotten a filling that day and was praying. And um, she gets this anonymous phone call, and um, this man says, Rebecca's in trouble. You have to find her. She's going to die. And so my parents get in the car and they come and they look for me and they find me. And whenever they got there, they find me in the passenger seat of my car. I was completely blue. I didn't have a pulse. I wasn't breathing, um, nothing. So my dad jumped in the driver's seat and drove me to the the emergency room. And um, they pumped my stomach. They Um, gave me Narcan and they shocked me. They shocked my heart to get my heart to start beating again. And um, they brought me back to life like that. And they told my dad that if he would have hit one red light, that they would not have been able to revive me. That's how um, just out of it I was. And whenever I um, overdosed, I remember that experience I had. I remember the like complete black and feeling like I was falling very fast backwards. And as fast as I was falling backwards, um, it felt like a life-size hand caught me and like threw me back up. And all of a sudden I was just like flying straight up. And I remember seeing a speck of light and the light just getting like bigger and bigger and bigger until all I could see was white. And then the next thing I remember is feeling pain in my stomach. And I'm guessing that's whenever they pumped my stomach and shocked me and everything. And the next thing I remember is hearing my mom saying, she's crying, she's awake, she's crying, she's awake. And I'm saying my name, but I still couldn't open my eyes. And then I opened my eyes to see all the white lights around me in the ER. And I didn't remember what had happened. Um, I was in the hospital for a week that week. And I wish I could say I got clean at that point, but I didn't. I continued down that path. On August 6, 2008, I was I had used methadone and Xanax and Lortabs, which is a horrible combination, very toxic combination. And I had a paper route that I needed to deliver papers. So even though I knew I was too high to drive, I decided to get behind the wheel and drive, planning on delivering the papers that I needed to deliver. And it was like three o'clock in the morning and I was on State Road 19 in West Virginia. It was, you know, in the country. So there's no one around in the middle of the night. And I was going at least 70 miles per hour. I don't really know how fast I was going, but the speed limit there is 70 Um, I believe in that spot, 65 or 70. So I was driving and I nodded out at the wheel, fell asleep on the drugs. Whenever I started to go off the road, I hit the guardrail. And when I hit the guardrail, I remember hitting my head on the window and 
seeing like flashes of my car flipping into the guardrail, like in between this mountain and the guardrail. Um, whenever I woke up, the car was upside down and I had an, it's an older car and it's one of those seat belts that it's not attached to the lap belt. So, um, you can't just unbuckle it. And so it had me strapped into it still. And I was upside down hanging. The airbag had um, come out. I couldn't move my legs. They felt like they were smashed or trapped. Um, I couldn't move them and I couldn't see anything. I remember being completely soaked and in the moment thinking it was my coffee and then finding out later, I'm sure it was blood um, because I had glass, um, just big pieces of glass sticking out of the side of my head um, that they had to remove at the hospital. I couldn't find my phone and I couldn't see to find it either. I couldn't feel it and I couldn't see it. And I just remember like knowing I was trapped and helpless and hopeless and crying out to Jesus to save me. And the next thing that I remember is um, sitting up against the guardrail, um, like my back was up against the guardrail and I couldn't see his face, but I remember a man standing there a couple of feet away from me and um, just his presence, um, like knowing I was okay. I was going to be okay. He called 911 and he called my parents. My parents were visiting my grandparents and he called their house and told them that I was in a car wreck and told them um, where to go to find me, the hospital to find me at. Whenever the um, the EMTs and everyone, the first responders got there to help me, um, he wasn't there. There wouldn't have been any proof of him being there if my parents wouldn't have talked to him and if I wouldn't have remembered it. But I'm like positive of his presence and that he was he saved my life that night completely because I don't know if anybody would have found me and I don't know what would have happened if he wouldn't have gotten me out of that car that night. That's absolutely an incredible story. And just the fact that he told them what hospital that you were going to be at and you weren't at a hospital yet. Oh. You know, we're, we're to find you yet again. Um, and in the first, the first story you told us, your parents being able to find you. How did, I mean, how did they find you? How did they know where to go? My mom told me that a couple weeks before this happened, this girl's house that we were at, she had had her power cut off because she couldn't pay her power bill. And she came to my parents' church asking them to help her with the power bill. And so they had went to her house to verify that the power was cut off before they paid her power bill. Well, that day, whenever she got that phone call and she started praying and asking the Lord to lead them to where I was, the Holy Spirit was like, go to that house. And that's where I was. That's incredible. So if you're listening today to, whole, to our podcast, this is amazing. If, if you don't think these kind of things can happen, these, these are supernatural, actually verifiable um, miracles and interventions where God intervened in Rebecca's life. And we've experienced similar things, you know, in our lives, in the life of our son, uh, during prayer of God, you know, speaking and saying, go here, go there, pray now. So we want to encourage you to continue in, in your prayers and believing because your prayer combined with faith works. So one of the yeah. things that you mentioned to us earlier was that, that this all started 
when you went away to college and one of the things that you experienced was actually date rape. And yeah. so we want to we want to talk about that for a few minutes uh, because we may have a listener who may have a similar experience. And uh, you, you, you you've been degraded, you've been used, you've been abused, you've been mm-hmm. raped and let's call it what it is. Uh, and so this begins a downward spiral in your life. And so what we want to do is hopefully head that, you know, stop somebody from going down that path. But tell us about your experience, if you would. Yeah. So I went to my, I lived in the dorms in my freshman year of college. And this girl that, um, that was like my neighbor in the dorms, she invited me to go to her brother's birthday party. And it was off campus. He was, I think, a senior at this point in time. And we were freshmen. So um, we were like, okay, cool. Like, we'll go to this party. It'll be fun, you know, off campus. And so she drove me in her car and we went to this party and everybody was drinking. And I remember I was drinking like a wine cooler. I was not drunk though, I don't believe, because I'm able to remember everything really well. I, I remember his friends like started making jokes like as the night went on. Um, like that I was his birthday present and I didn't really, it didn't really register like what that meant at some point in the evening, um, after like drinking, you know, a while, a couple of his friends were like, yeah, come with us. Um, he wants to see you. Um, he, you know, you're his birthday present da, 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 da. and they like led me to his room and I totally did not understand like what they were meaning or what was about to happen. And so they took me to his room and they were all like laughing and, you know, carried on and they left me in his room, his bedroom with him. And I just remember like, like I wasn't even friends with him or, you know, anything. I was an acquaintance. Like I knew about him because he was his girl's brother. I just remember him just like being trapped in this room with him and him just like just having sex with me. And and then I just remember him leaving me in his room and um, and I could hear him and his friends laughing outside of the room. And um, I just remember like, in that room, being in that room and feeling like so used and so ashamed. And like, I didn't even want to walk out of the room. Like I remember just sitting there in the room, not wanting to walk out. Cause I was so embarrassed, so ashamed, like knew that I was going to walk out of the room and everybody at the party knew what had just happened. And, um, and then whenever I walked out of the party thing and I never told anyone, um, about like what really happened for like years until like I was married. Um, I just like held it inside of me because I felt so ashamed. And so, um, and I felt like it was my fault for a really long time. I felt like I deserved it. I felt like because I was drinking and I knew I had enough God in me didn't like I'd been taught the right things. I'd been taught what's right and wrong. So I knew, okay, I was in the right place at the wrong time. So I must have deserved that. Like that, that must have been what I, I should have gotten. That's really what I thought about it for a very long time until um until it became evident in my marriage that I needed healing from that, that it was like this place inside of me that was causing 
that shame still and bitterness. And then like that was a healing process that I had to go through where I acknowledged it and I finally called it what it was that I was date raped and that I didn't deserve it because I was drinking, that I didn't deserve it because I made a bad choice to go to a party, that that's not God's character, that he doesn't want us to hurt because of our sin, that that's the opposite of his character. Like he doesn't want us to sin because he doesn't want us to hurt and he wants to keep us from that hurt because he is full of grace and mercy. Right. So I'm so sorry you went through that. It's just, that's awful. Um, and you should never have had to go through that. Should no, no young lady should. What would you say to another young woman who's been through date rape? Um, I would say that it's not your fault. Um, no matter what the circumstances were, that it's not your fault and that you are not dirty, that you are not used goods, that you, uh, that God wants to make you healed and whole. He wants to use this experience to make you stronger, that he wants to, that he doesn't want you to go through life ashamed and he doesn't want you to be broken, that he wants you to hold your head up, that he wants you to view yourself the way he views you as a daughter of the king as holy and pure and that he wants you to use that um, to get healing and then whenever you've gotten healing to use it to encourage other women and um, to help them and to tell them the same thing like that they are not dirty that, that they're loved and that they're beautiful and that God has a plan and that he had his plan is for a good relationship and that you know men are not bad there are things that happen that are bad with women and men but that doesn't mean that that you know that like that sex itself is bad that that God has a good plan for it and to just seek him and let him heal those broken places inside of you and there's um programs available that'll help too. So you were in Teen Challenge for what, about a year? Yes. And so 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 talk to us about that a little bit and what your experience was like in there. Um it we call it Christian boot camp. (laughs) Um because you wake up at six o'clock in the morning, you have a minute to get out of bed. Um and then you have to make your bed. Um the teen challenge I was at we couldn't have any wrinkles in our bed or we would get um, what was called a write-up <laughs> and um, we couldn't be late for anything or we'd get a write-up. It was very strict. Um, we had to be, you know, in, in line for breakfast, lunch, and dinner at a certain time. Um, it was very intense Bible classes. We had personal Bible studies and we had group Bible studies and Twice a day, we would have um, 30 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night where we would have um, a time of worship and prayer and reading our Bible um, where everybody had to be in the same room and we would have like worship music playing and we would um, read our Bible for 10 minutes and pray for 20. And that was in the morning before class and it was right before bed at night. It was definitely the hardest year of my life. We got one phone call a week for 15 minutes and we could only communicate with um, our family, our like parents, brothers, sisters, kids. And we could, we could receive letters, but only from immediate family members as well. We went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes revivals. It was just totally 
like soaked in the Holy Spirit. And we had uh, like work skills is what it was called. We would have like different jobs that we had to do, um, like laundry. Some people would be on the cooking team. Some people would be on other cleaning teams. All the different, all the teen challenges are different though. Like where I was at, it was just starting out. So we didn't have a lot of stuff that we were involved in in the community to help. Like the teen challenge here in Jacksonville, they do like where they go out in the community and do different work. Like they have a thrift store they work at and they like clean churches and stuff like that. But the teen challenge I was at, the women's center had just started, but it was like God used that though too, um, because I kind of clean the same things every day over and over. Uh, like the same baseboards and the same walls and the same windows and they were spotless, but we still had to clean them every day. But it taught me that discipline and that obedience and that submission and trusting the Lord and working under the Lord, you know, like even when you don't, when you're like, what is the point? This is already clean, but continuing to do that and having a joyful heart and doing that and just, you know, like being consistent every day whether whatever it is we had some free time not a lot of free time but in my free time I read my bible like as much as possible like that's what I did I read my bible like twice I think the whole thing twice while I was there there's so much power in his word and that's like how I know because it totally changed my life like totally you can't I can't even explain it but there's so much power in his word because it just does that like it just changes you the more you read it it just changes you and so that's like that the thing that's the thing I love the most about teen challenge is that it gives you a safe place to go and just like soak in the Lord and learn about him and learn and like have um teach people teach you about the Bible and teach you about things like um, anger and uh, love and accepting yourself and stuff like that and codependency. But it's just like full of prayer. And that's, it just definitely changed my life. Tell me about your life today. My life today, I um, go to a, a church called Evangel Temple Assembly of God here in Jacksonville, and we love our church. And before coronavirus, <laughs> um, I was involved, and um, we go to. I'm on a and with the outreach um, team where we go to um, like a rehab here in Jacksonville called Gateway. Um, we go and like share with them, and usually like about once a month, and. We go to Alachua County um, Juvenile Detention, and we share with the ladies there. And I've been also um, to a juvenile detention boys center. Um, I went there last. I don't normally go because I usually just go to the girls. But um, I was able to share part of my story with the boys last year. Um, but yeah, so whenever coronavirus isn't wasn't going on, that was a big part of my life and outreach and. Um, just a lot of like voluntary stuff. Now I uh, take care of my kids. I have a small little um, business. So are you that, married now? Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yes. I've married. Um, I've been married for eight years. I have two children. I have a seven year old boy and a three year old girl. They're amazing. I actually met my husband at teen challenge. The Lord gave me a dream 
a prophetic dream about him before I knew who he was while I was at Teen Challenge. And so the first time we ever talked to each other on the phone, we both knew we were getting married, like before we went on a date or anything. And so that was a really amazing blessing. And he's awesome. He's amazing. He's very supportive. And um, my kids, like I'm forever grateful that I lived through that so that I could have my precious children. They're everything. You have such, such an amazing story, such an amazing testimony. And I hope that our listeners are as blessed as, as we've been to get to listen to it. And we just want to encourage you today, if you're listening, the, the scripture that keeps coming to me is Jeremiah 29, 11, which I'm just going to paraphrase. Basically, God is saying, for I know the plans I have for you, and that is plans to bless you and to prosper you and to give you hope and to give you a future. And I know this to be a fact in our son's life. I see this coming to pass in Rebecca's life. And I just want to speak that over our listeners' life today. If you're an addict, if you're the parent of an addict, if you've suffered through date rape or a rape, or you were molested even as a child, and you're thinking that's something you can't recover from, and you're blaming yourself, and you're filled with guilt and shame, and even if you're, if you're a male and you've been molested, and you're carrying this around, we want to encourage you to talk to somebody about it. Don't carry this yourself. Yeah. Don't turn to other things like Rebecca shared with to self-medicate, but truly turn to God. Don't run from Him. And He mm-hmm. does still have a plan for you, no matter how hopeless it looks, no matter how far away you've gone on the drugs, no matter how bad or how dirty or how shameful the enemy has tried to make you feel, God still has that wonderful plan for you. Mm -hmm. We just want to encourage you that for that with that today. You know, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he told his brothers later on what Satan had meant for evil, God had meant for good and used for good. And in this case, you're going to see the same thing. So we just want to thank Rebecca for her testimony and sharing with us today. Visit us at our website at cornerstonegm.org. And when you subscribe, we'll send you the 40 healing scriptures set to music. There are also 40 different declarations set to music on healing. And we believe that they'll be a blessing to you. Thank you so much. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Faith Works Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to visit us at cornerstonegm.org for books, blogs, movies, and spiritual growth. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Lisa Henderson, and that's Lisa, L-E-S-A, and at Ken Henderson, or you can follow our ministries at My Salt Life Church and at Cornerstone Global M. See you next week.